Pump and Pal angled flanges are a welcome addition to your toolbox. Designed by a caring father, they're a comfortable alternative to standard flanges that come with most pumps. Pump and Pal flanges have tunnels positioned at a 30 degree angle to allow users to adjust the fit to their unique shape instead of having to position themselves to fit the flange. They also eliminated the ring on the bottom of the tunnel and tapered the area for superior comfort and maximum milk flow. Pump and Pal includes sizes that are designed specifically for those with elastic nipples. Made of a special silicone, they prevent the pulling of breast tissue deep into the tunnel, which can happen with hard plastic flanges. Pros, order a free Pump and Pal fitting kit at pumpandpal.com lc info. Parents, use the code MILK to save $4 off flanges. All links will be in the show notes. You're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino, and I am very excited for this week's guest. To me, she needs no introduction. (laughs) Um, Words that I've heard to describe my guest and words that I've used, mentor, hero, but I like to say she-ro, role model, teacher, friend. Her name is Catherine Watson-Jenna. But to those of us in the lactation world, you only have to say her first name, Kathy, and everyone knows who you are talking about. And if you are too young in this field, you will soon understand why you need to know the work of Catherine Watson-Jenna. So Catherine is a private practice, IBCLC, in New York City since 1992. She is particularly interested in dyads with medical challenges to breastfeeding. In addition to mentoring lactation interns, she uses her clinical photos and videos in presentations to healthcare professionals on assisting breastfeeding babies with anatomical, genetic, or neurological problems around the world. Catherine participates in a research collaborative with Columbia University and Tel Aviv University, Department of Biomedical Engineering, investigating the biomechanics of the lactating nipple and aspects of sucking and swallowing in breastfeeding infants. She is the author of two indispensable books, Selecting and Using Breastfeeding Tools, 
improving care and outcomes, and supporting sucking skills in breastfeeding infants. She also has written many professional journal articles and chapters in the core curriculum and breastfeeding and human lactation. Catherine served as associate editor of the United States Lactation Consultants Association official journal, Clinical Lactation, for its first seven years. Welcome, Kathy. It's an honor to have you here today. It's an honor to be here, Lisa. Thank you for that beautiful and very embarrassing introduction. <laughs> I knew you'd say that because you're you're very humble too. You know, um, I, I'm going to tell a quick story about the first time I presented publicly, and you were in the audience. You were actually presenting before me. So imagine this, everybody. You you've grown up in your field watching a professional teacher, and you know, totally, totally admire them. And it's your first time you're going to present publicly and you have to follow that teacher. <laughs> so that, that was my experience. And you made it so easy for me. You gave me so much confidence in the, in the words of encouragement you, you gave me beforehand. And while I was speaking, every once in a while, you gave me a thumbs up. I don't know if you remember that, but it just, it just was like, wow, you know, because in so many professions, sometimes ours included, you know, we tend to um, not lift each other up. And you're one of those people that does. And I, I try to do that myself as well. It's part of my goal with this podcast is, you know, us professionals, those of us who do this work, especially those of us who are women, women in women fields need to be lifting each other up. So thank you for that. Oh, my great pleasure. You know, we're trying to create the world we want to be. And I think that it's so important that we understand that we all know something, that if we share what we know, it's we can only do better. And if we support each other and help each other, we can all be our best. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. So um, one of the um, aspects of your work that to me is the most exciting is the research project you're involved in. And you know, in this field, we often hear, well, there's no research, there's no research, there's no research. There actually is research. And your research is unique. And I'd love it if you could explain to our audience, to our listeners, you know, in, in easy, because, you know, for those who don't know, Kathy's a real science geek. So if you ever watch her presentations, you can get lost in the minutia of the geekiness of it and how detailed it is. But but if you can explain a little bit about what you're actually doing and 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 how it's working out, I would love that. Absolutely. First off, we've been working on research for at least 15 years with various groups, and this group has been going for about nine years. And as you do a study, you learn what you didn't know, what you didn't take into account, and you redesign and do it over again. So it's been quite a road. And I, I feel like a kid in a candy store being able to do this. It's really, really fun. And it's really exciting, especially, as you said, I'm a, I'm a big geek and I really enjoy this. Okay. So what we learned is that tongue-tied babies... Even if the tie is further back along the underside of their tongue, have a different suck than babies without a tongue tie. And that 
Other conditions can also cause problems in the suck, but they're different problems than tongue tie does. Mm -hmm. So basically, the the front of the tongue holds onto the breast and just kind of moves up and down with the jaw while it's holding onto the breast. And then the back of the tongue follows whatever the front of the tongue does in a wave-like movement. So we go down with the front, down a little more, further back, down a little further back, down a little further back till we collect and catch milk. And then we go up with the front and the breast and the jaw and then back up a little further back, a little further back. So we get a safe swallow. What we've seen in tongue-tied babies is they don't have this wave-like movement. They may have a rocking movement, front of the tongue, then the whole back of the tongue, or they may use the whole tongue together. But that smooth wave-like change of direction down and then up um, along the tongue is missing in our tongue-tied babies. So we can feel this when we actually put our fingers in a baby's mouth, but you've gone way beyond observation and feeling it. You know, that, that's what's so fascinating to me, you know, about your research is you're showing with data that our observations are true. (laughs) And and, we have an amazing team. Yeah. So David Allot is a biomedical engineer from Saransky, um, at um, in Israel, and his specialty is this wave-like movement in all different places in the body. And then Andrew Francis Lane at Columbia, his specialty is mathematically looking at um, medical imaging, like ultrasound, mm-hmm. and getting objective information from it. And then Scott Siegel did our did our ultrasounds, and Yaella Saperstein was our our grad student who did the actual and very laborious math work. Mm-hmm. And I did the ultrasounds and and looked at the babies clinically. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've seen your presentation. I've read this study over and over. But um, in in layman's language, and tell me if I'm. I'm if I'm interpreting this right, you've actually put plots that will numerically map out the waves of the baby's tongue movements. Yeah. We, we tracked where the tongue is on each frame of the baby breastfeeding or bottle feeding. We looked at both. And on a whole bunch of different points all along the center of the tongue, Mm-hmm. And we were able to see where the tongue, where each piece of the tongue is, at each of these microseconds in time, and then put them together and look at the overall movement pattern and its smoothness, and its rhythm, and its range of motion, and mm-hmm. all of those things are affected by tongue tie. And you can see the before and afters, right? So you did the sonogram before. And after release? Yes. And you saw an immediate change in what it looked like. And I've seen these, I've seen these slides, I've seen these um, graphs, and it's quite impressive, you know, and um, the other, the other um, 
part of it that I think is important is this wasn't just breastfed babies. It was bottle mm-hmm. feeding too, because we all know that bottle feeding babies often have a difficulty with taking milk from the bottle from a few reasons, but sometimes it's because of tongue tie, correct? For sure, for sure. And you you saw the same kinds of changes in yeah, a fair- bottle feeding baby? Same kinds of changes. And we also saw the effect of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Babies that had a less smooth sucking pattern at the breast because of some medical challenge, tongue tie or tight neck muscles or other issues, did even worse at the bottle in terms of what their suck looked like, the organization of their tongue movements in space and time. Wow. So I... I've been seeing a trend of babies that can adequately feed at the breast, maybe not ideally, but adequately. But then when mom has to go back to work or decides to give a bottle, they can't take anything from a bottle. And um, my own grandson was an example of that. But it's been a trend that I've seen. So I, I love that that data that you got from your sonogram studies correlates with that clinical observation of it could you can nurse fine and not be able to get milk from a bottle or not fine I'm using fine in air quotes right, you know right. nurse enough to gain weight mm-hmm. you know we won't talk about what's been going on as far as comfort levels and and um, you know how often we're feeding and stuff like that but you can get milk especially a, a breast belonging to someone who has copious milk supply Baby doesn't have to work so much, but sometimes you have to work harder on a bottle or, or differently on a bottle. And, and that, that, again, here's this clinical experience correlating with what you're showing scientifically, which is so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. What we see is that sucking works better at the breast, but babies can get milk from a bottle even with a, a very incorrect suck. But what they have a harder time with with the bottle is swallowing safely and correctly. Okay. And that has huge implications for our preterm babies who swallowing is their biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. And so we should be giving them breasts way before we give them bottles rather than too many places that do it the other way around. Louder for the people in the back. That's an important statement. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, seriously. So when I, when I grew up, you know, I was an RN at the hospital for many years, and every once in a while I would float to NICU, which I used to get the heebie-jeebies because those tiny little babies make me so nervous. But um, I was told way back when that they had to bottle feed the babies. And yeah. then there was a point where I learned that nursing at the breast actually takes less energy. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it's actually safer for swallowing because nobody's for you can't force feed a baby from the breast. Yes, right? absolutely. And it's it's just fascinating knowledge. So, um, where is the information published so that my um, listeners can find it? I mean, I, if there's a link you can share, I can put that in the show notes. Absolutely, uh, scientific reports. It mm-hmm. is open access. Columbia University generously paid the open access fee for us so that anyone could get it free. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an issue. Many, many breastfeeding supporters don't have an academic uh, um, affiliation. And it's really hard. Some journals are asking for 
54 $72 for a single paper. Yeah. So we were very, very pleased to be able to arrange for this to be open access. Right. So open access, for those that don't know, means that you can just click on the link and see everything. Sometimes yep. you can click on a link and just see an abstract, but your entire study is available online. Right. Plus the videos. People can right. download and view the videos, right. which I think is the most valuable part of the paper. Yeah. I, you know, I wish we could show the videos on, on the podcast, but that would be, you know, that's the, for another day, we'll do a whole video presentation. But yeah, so... Um, I know that one of the critiques that happens when you have research is people say, well, first of all, you know, was there bias? You know, what, what, you know, I have to bring that up. Was there any, you know, can yeah. you, can you think of any criticism to this research that you've had to address? There's always going to be bias. Always. No human, every human being has preferences. All bias is are preferences in a a certain part of our brain called the striatum. And um, whatever things we're choosing between, it's like a race. And whichever one gets the most votes first is the one we pick. You know, that's kind of yeah, how it works. Right. Um, so some things have a head start. And that's all biases. Mm -hmm. So everyone has biases because we all have preferences. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is that what we published so far is our sample results. So there's, it's small sample sizes. Mm -hmm. And with scientific research, we always want to have lots and lots of examples because people are individuals and you never know, you might hit on the one person that has this issue. Mm -hmm. But we've done many, many ultrasounds and we've analyzed quite a number of them with our objective analysis and the results are stable. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm hoping that we can get a larger sample size in print, but then there's resistance. Some journals that might really benefit from getting this information to their audience um, may be resistant to even looking at it. We we had we had four journals aimed at um, medical professionals that said. This, this wouldn't be of interest to our readership. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, when we were, you know, when we were trying to publish a, a larger sample size. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one thing. And I've spoken to other researchers, and this happens. You know, there are, there are, these beliefs get siloed, and anything that disagrees can have a hard time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some things that disagree aren't right, but some things that disagree are. And right. usually if we look at all the different factors, we can find we can find where we went wrong. The other really important thing is exactly what kind of latch the mom and baby had. A big mouthful of breast leads to more stable sucking, leads to more normal tongue movements. So we spent a lot of time getting a re the be best possible latch before we did our pre-op ultrasound. And then if the pre-op ultrasound was normal with the better latch, the baby didn't get any treatment. I and love that you're saying that. Yeah, let's stop there for a minute because I think that one of the potential um, criticisms could be, well, of course you were gonna release this tongue tie anyway, but that wasn't the case. You were giving 
one-on-one specific lengthy lactation support prior, which is a major point of making this, um, in my eyes, more valid because we don't want to just clip every tongue tie. We want to, we want to correct everything, you know, and that's our field gets a bad name Mm -hmm. about that, you know, a bad reputation, whatever about, you know, oh, sure. They're just going to clip every tie. And, um, you know, I often say that I'm not doing this podcast so that more people get their tongue ties clipped. I'm doing this podcast so that more people learn when it's warranted, when it's not, what else to do, how to be ready for it, and all that. So that was um, a quite impressive part of your research because any scientist could have done this, but you being a lactation consultant involved on the front end of it made it more um, comprehensive in my point of view. When I began to work in this field, I quickly realized that school didn't teach me enough about tongue tie. I wanted the opportunity to learn firsthand from an experienced professional. I had so many questions. Can you relate? Good news. I've created the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant just for you. You'll get four recorded video modules, downloads to share with your patients, admission to a thriving multidisciplinary community for networking, sharing, and continued learning, and four LSERPs. All the details are on the website at tongtieexperts.net slash pro course. Use code podcast15 to save 15% off this and all of my courses. Can't wait to see you in the group. Well, having a varied team, I think, really makes research stronger. And yes, we we really worked hard to try to eliminate as many confounders as possible. And our mission is not to prove that tongue tie is a thing. Our mission is to try to narrow down the number, the specific characteristics of babies who will really benefit from treatment versus the babies who need a different treatment or none at all. Mm-hmm. So um, whether or not this is a large sample size, the fact that your um, science, science correlates with with what most of us are seeing clinically is what's the most important part of the research, in my opinion. And I hope, I know that COVID had something to do with shutting, you know, like making this, you know, challenging to complete and all that. And I'm, I'm hoping that more can be done, or at least you will be able to evaluate the studies that you already have and, and get them published. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to pick back up. One of the issues is money. Right. Yeah, we applied for many, many grants, and a grant application can be 99 pages, and ours were 99 pages. And there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into making grant applications, but there's only a certain pot of money. And unfortunately, breastfeeding has not been high on the, you know, totem pole for what gets what gets chosen. Yeah, because the so, funding is going to go to things that are going to make people money, and this really isn't making exactly, anybody any money. Exactly, exactly. 
Nobody makes money when a woman breastfeeds, you know. Exactly. Um, I digress, but, you know, one of the things that people always ask me when they come to my office and they're like, should we bring our nursing pillow? And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> you know, um, I I like to say, you know, all these things that and, – and there's more and more things that come with breastfeeding. And I'm like, well, that's because the companies couldn't figure out what to sell us because more of us were breastfeeding. So they had to invent things to make money. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I have a couple of breastfeeding pillows. They're in plastic buckets up on the top shelf there. <laughs> I almost never take them down once in a while for a mom of twins, but most of the time laying back, resting the baby on your body, and we can get a much better latch mm -hmm. without gravity yanking the baby off the mom's nipple or yanking the mom's nipple toward the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all about like where, you know, you got to follow the money in most of these things. Like a pillow is a pillow. It doesn't have to be a breastfeeding pillow. Anyway. So Kathy, what else about, you know, is there anything else about your research that you'd want to cover that I haven't asked you about? Yeah. One thing, um, having a tight neck muscle also alters the baby suck, but in a different way than tongue tie does. So all of our muscles are, can uh, have, um, special tissue on top of them and surrounding them called fascia. And if your fascia is loose and comfortable, your muscles can move well. If you get some inflammation or irritation in that fascia, it stiffens up and tightens, and then it causes the muscles to cramp, mm -hmm. and the muscles can't relax. So we think that when babies are born with a tight neck muscle on one side or tight jaw muscles, that that also tightens up the, the fascia at the floor of the mouth that's, that connects the tongue to the hyoid bone in your mm -hmm. neck. If you feel around in your neck uh, on the two sides, you can find a little bone that you can just move around left and right. And that's your hyoid. It's attached by a whole bunch of muscles. So if we tighten up its fascia, we tighten up the tongue. And we think that that's what's happening when babies have torticollis and other issues. And we think that that's a big confounder to tongue tie. So these babies have a less organized suck. They have a little less range of motion, but they still have that wave-like movement in their in their sucking. Okay. So it's that it's a different thing from tongue tie, and I think this is the main thing that we've been confusing for tongue tie. And these babies benefit from physical therapy mm -hmm. and more and specific carrying positions. So and time on their tummy on their parents so they can lift their head up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm. I see that also in my clinical practice. And, um, you know, there's many parents that want a, the quick fix. They've heard of the tongue, you know, oh, I'll just go get my baby's tongue tie clipped and it'll be all better. And there's some babies that I know that's not the answer. And it's sometimes hard to explain that to parents. Like, yes, maybe, maybe you might have to have this baby's tongue tie done, but first we have to do these other things, whether yeah. they be infant issues or also maternal issues as well. Because if mom yeah. has no milk or has very little milk or an impeded letdown. Or super no shy you know, nipples. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard yeah. no matter what. So we want to improve everything so that when, if and when the tongue tie release happens, things work better. Because in my opinion, and I'm sure you share this, 
the best rehab for that baby after the tongue tie is nursing well at the breast. There's nothing, absolutely. no exercise that's going to Ab- top that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I've found clinically with kids with, with tight muscles is that the tongue tie tends to scar more. The, the yes. phrenotomy site tends to scar more. So, and half the time it goes away when we treat the neck muscle mm-hmm. and the baby yeah. has enough tongue mobility. Right. So I think it's, it's a big mistake to treat the more subtle tongue ties in babies who also have tight muscles. Mm-hmm. And by subtle, you mean the a little movement further is back. impeded, you know, yeah, the, function, the type threes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, the, 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 the term body work is often used um, at one of our professional organizational meetings recently at ICAP. We were discussing other, other terms for that because not everybody likes the term body work. We were talking about maybe manual therapy, but we're talking about things like physical therapy, occupational therapy, chiropractic, things that address that tightness and allow the baby more full range of motion. Because as we know, if something is tight somewhere, everything's tight or thrown off to one side. Everything is, is off, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. One of my professors used to talk about a patient of his with a, with chronic headaches. And it turned out that one leg was shorter than the other. And all those postural changes he had to make to keep his eyes straight resulted in muscle tension in his head that gave him chronic headaches. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So I have, I have a little bit of a more personal question. I want to know, how did you get into research? How did you go from helping people breastfeed to doing research studies? Part of it was um, I did a British-style honors program at Adelphi University where I did my bachelor's in, in biology. And uh, we, did, we did research studies. We, did, um, we had to um, present and defend them. And we had to write them up. It was it was a lovely, lovely experience. So, I uh, we had to read a lot of journal articles and really critique them. So, that education was foundational for learning how to do research. Mm-hmm. And then, when I worked with um, the late Dr. Betty Corellis, a pediatric surgeon, who treated tongue ties as part of her post-retirement career, there was a lot of criticism. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were on solid ground. We wanted to investigate, okay, let's see if we can think of something more objective. And I'd read about Laurie Jacobs in Australia's master's uh, thesis on ultrasound uh, during breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of Lori's studies that Donna Geddes took over. And now Donna's running the uh, the breastfeeding research down there mm-hmm. in Perth. So Lori sent me all her parameters. Oh, cool. And we started to do a research project at, at Winthrop University Hospital, where Dr. Krillis was uh, emeritus uh, director of pediatric surgery. Oh, I'm glad I asked because I didn't realize it went back that far. This went back that far. So that was the first one we did. 
Mm-hmm. And and we did that after we did a poster presentation for the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine based on um, 105 cases that we worked on together, some of whom had phrenotomy, some of whom didn't, and the various things that we noticed about their their baby sucking on digital suck exam and their feed and their ability to get enough milk. And, you know, we kept careful, careful records and uh, produced a poster. And one of the things we saw is that babies with what we were calling a mild tongue tie, and now we're calling type three, mm-hmm. often were worse than the babies with the, what we were calling severe or type one. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as much where the frenulum attached to the tongue, but it's how much tongue elevation did the baby have. So, so yeah, that, in, that, that, that's, again, correlating with clinical observation. I've had babies who have anterior ties mm-hmm. who can nurse fairly well. Yeah. And then the babies who you can't see that tie, it's so far back and it's so, the frenum is just short and back and, and the baby can't move their tongue at all to feed. So that, you know, that's one of my uh, soapboxes. There's no pictures of babies' mouths in my Facebook group because mm. I, I stand by, you can't tell by looking. You absolutely right. cannot tell by looking. Um, cl- correlating with clinical observation, of course, but by somebody posting a picture and saying, my does my baby have a bad tongue tie or whatever description they use? Um, you can't tell. And that's, you know, for those parents who are listening who may get frustrated by that, um, it's for a reason because we want to be sure. We want to be sure of the function and we don't want to put any baby through anything unnecessary or any family through anything unnecessary because this, be, this could be, you know, a traumatic experience. And even though it's quick and easy, it can still be traumatic. Sure. It hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another that's a that's a conversation for another day because there are those who say, oh, it doesn't even hurt. <laughs> well, if it's a super thin membrane, then it yes. doesn't have any nerves in it. Then yeah. it probably doesn't hurt. Right. But if it's thicker and vascular, then we know it has nerves in it. If there are yes. blood vessels, there are nerves too. They all run together when we're forming. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um the other thing that I just want to highlight about your career is that you are a clinical mentor, which means that people just, you've just showed so many people, so many lactation consultants have come through your office to watch you in your craft and learn from them. So thank you so much for that. I mean, I've never had the opportunity, but a very good friend of mine did. And she, she was just, you know, she was in awe that you were that open to that. So thank you for that. First off, I had a wonderful time working with your friend. (laughs) Uh, She's a sweetie. Secondly, I learn a lot when I teach. When When you're mentoring, you have to think about everything you're recommending. Why did I pick this tool? Why did I pick this position? What made me think of this? So that's one thing. The other thing is the more experienced we are, the more we kind of get stuck in our own grooves. Mm -hmm. We dig our tracks deeper and deeper. And interns are newer. They're just learning. So they look at more things. So the combination of an experienced mentor and a relatively new intern 
is very powerful for the clients and, mm-hmm. you know, for us to kind of get out of our, our grooves a little bit. So it, it's definitely a win-win thing. That's great. So Kathy, I, again, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with me today and for all you do for our profession and for parents and, you know, the ripple effects of your work are immense and you should be very proud. I know you like, you, you get embarrassed and you get all blushy, but you should be very proud because, um, you know, you've done so much work in the lactation field and the repercussions for your work will help families everywhere for a very long time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really gratified to have come into this profession at the right time with the right education to be able to get, move it forward a bit. And, and I'm, I'm super honored about thank that. You. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.